Welcome to the official Solaris podcast. I'm your host, Steve Foley, alongside Eric Wilt in our mobile production studio. The goal of the podcast series is to further promote engagement and discussions around a broad range of relevant industry topics. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoy it. Welcome back, everyone. We're here in our mobile studio with another podcast. It's Steve Foley with Eric Wilt, and we're joined by our guest today, Craig Erickson. Our first repeat guest. Our first repeat guest. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah, already. Here we go again. You know what happened is the podcast has gotten very famous. Well, wow. we have been flooded with fan mail. That might, that might be, that mail. may be infamy. So be careful before you get way, way out ahead of your skis. The Slurverse <laughs> demands Craig Erickson. Oh, so. Craig, welcome to the studio. Thank Craig Erickson, as you well know, is our um, safety director here at uh, Solaris, and uh, we thought we'd tee up a couple of conversations that um, that come up pretty regularly in uh, you know aviation. Uh, around the industry, but also here at Solaris. And um, Craig, over to you. I think you wanted to um, maybe have a bit of a chat about normalization of deviation. That's um, exactly right, Steve. And also perhaps just culture. Yep, absolutely. You know, recently I, I, I found an article uh, written by James Albright um, in Business and Commercial Aviation. He, he is, a, you know, one of the founding fathers of talking about these things openly and, and really trying to find a new approach to why things are, you know, occurring the way they are, why things maybe not be operating as safe as possible. Uh, conversely, I actually attended a, you know, safety stand down recently, and this was the exact uh, topic of most of that conference was that deviation uh, of, of normalcy. And and when we start talking about that, people are going to say, what the, what do we, what is it exactly? And and I'd like to further define that. Basically, what it is is. We know that deviations uh, in our job and what we do are really to be expected. Uh, nobody's perfect, you know, as, as, as much as we like to look at maybe Eric as being a perfect human being. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> no problem. Um, occasionally he does make some mistakes out there. So we do make some mistakes. Uh, much of our training is designed to prevent or mitigate those before they become harmful. Um, and we train. Uh, to minimize those deviations, recover from those that do occur, we, we do understand that um, sometimes shortcuts are, are put in uh, to play. Maybe that's because a procedure or a checklist or something we're doing doesn't fit perfectly our operation. So we'll make shortcuts or we'll, instead of redesigning that, uh, that procedure or system, we, we make those shortcuts. When we make shortcuts, we're prone to make other shortcuts. Just like if one SOP is, is, is you know, neglected to be followed, number two, number three are gonna be neglected to be followed. So that's what we're talking about. We talk about normalization of deviance and-, and It becomes a pretty slippery slope, it yeah. Really, it actually really does. Yeah, just very so quickly. Over time, you get more and more used to bending the rules and don't even notice anymore. Before you know it, you don't even know you're justifying why you're doing what it you're doing. It just becomes what you do. It's second nature. Yeah. Um, so basically, now we're accepting that as the norm. The, the Probably the worst part is brushing that off and actually training others, or you know, letting others see us mm. do that over and over, and they think that that is now the norm. Yeah, sure. The propagation um, of deviance. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it, Eric. And um, again, I, I I can't stress enough that we need to find ways to um, to maybe put that to a stop. Now, Steve, you and I have been talking about a case study. Um, that you were involved in with the Challenger, uh, the, the accident happened with the Challenger back in 1986. 
And maybe we could talk a little bit about what you were finding on that and some of the things you came across. Yeah, sure. Uh, my exposure to that tragic incident is by way of also conferences and just discussions about, amongst colleagues and so forth. And uh, uh, a very, very tragic um, incident. We probably, many of us, remember exactly where we were um, that fateful day in January of 1986. And um, the challenger, um, of course, was, um, I believe, the probably 25th or 26th mission for the space shuttle. Um, I would say there's two dozen behind it. Mm -hmm. And um, well into the program, well into the program. And, um, you know, that catastrophe was the result, as we all now know, of uh, a couple of, um, <clears throat> you know, a couple of components that failed. Uh, the, the real tragedy was, <clears throat> it wasn't really a surprise. It was a predictable surprise. Many had predicted. Mm. And uh, I won't get into the details of exactly how the O-rings failed, but those of you that have studied the case know that um, the O-rings associated with the solid rooster, uh, solid rocket boosters, uh, particularly there's two solid rocket boosters mm -hmm. on the uh, vehicle. And um, <clears throat> the lower right series of O-rings failed on, the, on the, the right solid rocket booster. Interestingly, um, <clears throat> engineers had identified that there was likely to be failure. And we have to remember that this component was a non-failure component. Risk, whatever the risk code that they had assigned, let's call it a critical one category. There is no margin for any error. There's no tolerance uh, that's acceptable. So that was designed to be a perfect operating Absolutely. Thing, and there was no... And over the previous 24 missions, um, there had been some indications that those O-rings had been compromised in some capacity. Mm. Now you put together all of the events of that particular January morning, and um, <clears throat> you, know, you had the perfect storm. That's right. And the O-ring failed, right? Uh, regrettably, now you got <clears throat> you know, um, a, a high likelihood with that kind of a failure. For so, so see, when they saw that this was a repeated thing that they knew there was going to be a problem or there were new was there any red flags that were thrown up or yeah sure like there were, there were a lot of red flags but you also we all remember what the context um was with nasa at that particular time first and foremost um there were really extreme pressures around a launch schedule and maintaining that launch schedule um you have to recognize that we're out of the Apollo years and we're into the space shuttle years now and this is supposed to be a workhorse. Of, yeah, a real workhorse and a lot of congressional pressure, a lot of budgetary pressures and um, a, a changing mission for, uh, for NASA <clears throat> in that, um, you know, that generation, if you will. Um, there are also some conflicting performance results with respect to the capabilities of the O-rings. Yeah. <clears throat> And um, you know the uh, the OEM's uh, engineers they they recognize that wow we've this is zero tolerance and we we're seeing uh, a margin of error here right. and that margin of error gradually was accepted and it's, expanded they pushed it and expanded and pushed and um, ultimately we get the uh, the challenge of disaster and uh, really that developing sense of margin in the performance of the O-rings was really what you're getting to the root of is mm -hmm. that normalization of a deviation. Uh, this is an area where there is no tolerance and no acceptable deviation, and yeah. yet they kept deviating. You know, we didn't have a failure, and this was the deviation, the small deviation. 
again, we noticed on a separate mission, we had no failure, but there was deviation. Mm. Right. Uh, so now, at that point, they're almost committing, you know, committing a fallacy of expert opinion. Like they knew we exactly were right, right because absolutely we pushed the standard and everything turned out great. And yeah, you know, it turned out great the first time. So it turned out great yeah. the second time, the third time. Ergo, absolutely. Later, and yeah. when you we look through this case study and you really peel it back, you recognize that you know, look, a lot of people were trying to do the right thing. Of course. And you know, you get into cultures of organizations and different entities within the organization, yeah. and different con contributing uh, right. stakeholders, mm -hmm. and really, what happened here. Um, in addition to the component failure, the, the root cause, um, you, when you look look closely, is there's communication breakdowns and barriers and you know cultural barriers, which really kept these grave concerns mm -hmm. of some of the OEM engineers uh, from the right decision makers. Right. They sound a little bit like you were describing groupthink. Well, it uh, is characterized in many corners as groupthink, yep. and um, you know those of us in uh, lots of corners of aviation, we understand the Swiss cheese model as well. That's exactly and right. All the holes actually lined up here. So this is a yeah perfect disaster of so many different philosophies and safety all coming together in the worst way. Yep. In 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 case in point here, Challenger really did prove to be a very predictable uh, surprise, mm -hmm. and um, the team uh, they took steps away from the known best practices oh, yeah. and uh, accepted the deviation. Yeah. Um, you know, from the overall sort of picture of Challenger, we can look and learn some lessons, of course, and, you know, <clears throat> Columbia is in similar fashion. Uh, another, right you know, national uh, catastrophe and, and, and tragedy. Um, specific to uh, Challenger, the that normalization of deviance, it's really rooted in the decision-making um, <clears throat> relative to you know, job-related or personal pressures, right? We're all vulnerable, and procedural compliance, as you indicated, will mm -hmm. always be our best defense, and I know you're gonna talk a lot more about that. We, we really need to you know, make it, it has to be uh, the fabric of our, of our culture, right? It really does. That procedural um, compliance. And you know another element around that we talk a lot about some crew resource management, mm -hmm. and so certainly one of the components of that is situational awareness. Right. And in order to have the best situational awareness, I think that um, you know we're we're comfortable having a question and attitude, and you've got to have that questioning and attitude. That's got to be part of the culture. And um, in this case with Challenger, there are many corners of NASA where that question and attitude became less important mm. than the pressures of schedule That's right. and the pressures of budget. Mm. Interestingly, um, those O-rings had uh, you know, signs of compromise in the earlier flights. And um, here's the deal though, right? We all know this. Risk has no memory. <laughs> Just because you got away with it once, twice, a dozen times doesn't mean, okay, there's, no guarantee there's a history affiliated with that and now we're building on that history. No, it's not Risk is not diminished by the frequency <laughs> in this case, <laughs> right? Exactly. And very tragically, um, you know, Challenger is, a, is an example of that. We have to be aware of those kinds of thought processes and, you know, the process uh, or the, the group think to your point, Eric, where, you know, there are exceptional circumstances. We've got to get the owner into this, you know, region. Yep. Here's why. Uh, we all recognize that those are the times when we really have to have, have that question and attitude, take a step back and really provide a, uh, a th work the compliance and do the due diligence that's, uh, that's required. No doubt. Yeah, you can always say, well, you know, I gotta take this shortcut this time, next time I'll do it right, and then before you know it, 
uh, you're in uh, you're in really bad territory. Mm. Uh, tragic uh, case study, tragic example, and I think most of our audience is very familiar with uh, the details um, of that incident. And uh, we look back upon that with uh, with a lot of really tough lessons learned. Yeah, you know, while you were talking, I wrote down a couple things there. Number one, pressure. You know, how many, a perfect human factor, you know, that says we're getting squeezed into this and do we raise the red flag and, you know, call a timeout or we're going to go through this and sometimes unfortunately we may we may get squeezed into that um, that situation where we may not have a, a way out you know um, sure I think for the most part though I, I, I really am, am comforted to know that most of our folks when they see that happening they are going to call that timeout and and they're empowered to do so right they're they're almost rewarded to do so that's what uh, we're expecting them to do is to to call that timeout if needs be, reset, regroup, and then move forward uh, as appropriate. Yeah, clearly that's the that's the right way to go. And then sense of mission, like you just talked about, you know, we want to get our, our our folks to where they want to be, what they're expecting to uh, have us take them, and 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 oftentimes it it just doesn't work out that way. Maybe weather, you know, comes in, or or there's other operational problems that that you know we we can't fulfill that, but we can do our best to to provide the safest atmosphere and and uh, and that is exactly what we're we're after today is to to identify those times and and make those appropriate decisions uh, the to, that we've been trained to do so thanks for sharing that case study Steve you know a, a couple of those things that we're talking about uh, go back to um, the uh, the article uh, written by James Albright and he he gave a couple of different uh, ways for us to uh, prevent or or cure the problem of uh, normalization of, of deviance. Now, if you think about it, day in day out, our folks are defying gravity. <laughs> you know, that's that's no small or you know special feat. It's, it's it's a great thing that we do every day, but sometimes that complacency might come in and say, "I've done it a thousand times and and haven't had any problems." And and so the first thing we want to do is remember that we have standard operating procedures for a reason. They're there because they've been tried, tested, and and proven to be the most effective ways for us to accomplish uh, the, the task at hand. Um, operating ad hoc, uh, kind of in the heat in the moment, um, we, we risk certain different things. Um, if we skip or reorder steps, we risk forgetting something that's, that's extremely important or fail to consider uh, sequential priorities as well. Um, if, we, if we adjust our SOPs on our own, that career resource management you were talking about kind of flies out the window a little bit because if we're going on our own volition of what we think we need to do, how's our crew member going to respond to that? Yeah, you know, sure. He, he may be accustomed, ready to uh, adapt directly to uh, what the SOPs say, but you're kind of going out on your own when you, um, you step away from those SOPs. And you know, they, we all want to be the we we, we want to be compliant. And when we see others that are not compliant, yep. sometimes it's a little bit difficult to intervene. And yet, the whole point of crew resource management is to you know have the assertiveness uh, and the decisiveness to step in and say, "Hey, Steve, that's not the way that we are usually doing business. Exactly. What's right. going on? What's up with today?" And I think I think the best part is. Most people will not take that and be offended by it, but say, oh, thanks for helping me, you know, 
recalibrated. That's back, right. Back into that. And when that's part of the culture, you're dialed in. Exactly right. But human nature, right? That's it's right. It's not always. Folks aren't always comfortable doing that. That's exactly right. And um, in uh, many cases, we, we find it's you, know, you circle back to, hey, why didn't you why didn't you step in? Why didn't you say something? Yeah, I, I know that when I'm out of line, I want people to put me back in line and help me, you know, refine those boundaries yeah. that I should be operating. It's at. not an indictment. It's not personal. Yeah, it's not. Of it's course. we're in this together. Yeah, absolutely. The one other thing I wanted to touch on briefly with that is if we find ourselves operating outside of those SOPs time and time and time again. That might mean that we need to do a re redesign of that procedure or process uh, policy. And the best part is we have a great change management um, application in, in the safety department. So if you see something out there that is, is just not working, let us know because then we can run it through our change management policies and procedures to make it work better for you. And, uh, and so we have that as, our, uh, as, a, as a great opportunity to, to make things better. The second thing he mentions is train to a standard. Now, of course, all of our, our pilots and, and flight crew members, our mechanics, they're going through their, their remedial trainings, whether that's a sim or uh, updating with, with their managers. But one of the neat things uh, I think that we have here at Solaris, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's a, a great value that we have, is bringing our folks into Petaluma and having them have that interface, not only with our executive team, uh, the department members here, but also with other pilots out and around. And that networking really can, can offer some great uh, uh, opportunities to learn from each other, to see, hey, are you having the same challenge that I'm having? And if you are, how are you approaching this? I think once we start taking the top off of that box and really start having that, that, uh, um, that discussion with others, we're really gonna find that, you know, we've got some really, really smart people out there with some great opportunities to make things um, better for us. So that was another one. So. I think one of the elements, of course, that we're all well aware of that gets in the way of that here at Solaris is, you know, we've got uh, we've got so many people, so many professionals that are, you know, running hard day in and day out. <clears throat> Lots of different uh, operations going on throughout the country, and um, you know, we we get busy, right? We do. And we get going, moving pretty quickly and we don't take opportunities, we don't create the opportunities to share and network as much as we might otherwise want to. It's not by design or intent, it's no one's malicious intent, it's just the nature of the beast. And you know, one thing that I've found helpful and, and we're starting to develop this a little more is uh, through uh, the intranet website, then we have all of those resources, and then the MS Teams sure. that we're starting to use, especially on the safety committee, we're really starting to see some some great collaboration there that we may not have otherwise had. Yeah, anytime we can tee up uh, a little bit of hangar flying, if you will, hey, here's how we're seeing things, here's what are you seeing over here. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, here's a place where we saw a little bit of this normalization, a deviation in our operation. Yep. You know, it, it, uh, it, it, it hit us in the head and, you know, just be careful around your account for the same. No doubt, no doubt. The next one was uh, make safety conspicuous, you know, make it stand out, make it something that we're well known for. And I think here at Solaris, we really are uh, well known for our approach to safety. And that goes back to everybody at an individual, uh, at the individual base level, right? At their individual operations. Uh, collectively, I think as an organization, we're really doing some great things here, but uh, it really goes down to the day in and day out, what everybody's doing uh, to make their job a little bit safer. And you know, we, we go in and we, we talk about some common problems and not just in aviation, but, but in all, all professions, 
is activities that can be called target fixation. And I'm not sure if people are familiar with that, but that means we become so focused and so designed on, on accomplishing the task at hand that we kind of miss everything else out there that's, that's for us to, to or that's there to help us make things safer. So, yeah. um, so let's not fall into that, that uh, uh, problem, but uh, always- A real crush to situation exactly awareness, right? right? Yep, mm -hmm. exactly right. The other thing is always have a have a backup plan in mind. Um, make sure that that backup plan is announced to the other crew members um, and say, you know, if we have an operational problem, here's where our plan is going to be. Or if we have a transportation problem, here's where our plan is going to be. Always sure. have that. And remember, those can always change too. Nothing is set in stone. But those are items for discussion that we can really learn each, from each other. So. Um, and then one last thing in that in that uh, category there. You know, people will always say this, and you know, safety first. We always hear people saying safety first, safety first. And while it's a great motto that's that's often quoted, sometimes it's rarely enforced, right? Sometimes it's used as almost as a moniker to say, you know, almost um, uh, being facetious about things. You know, safety first. Uh, but you know, really, our actions speak louder than our words. If we are out there and and being that that stalwart for a safety function or initiative. Our actions are going to speak louder than than just saying safety first. So, uh, remember, your actions are going to probably be the, the the loudest um, proponent of our safety initiatives here at Slayers. So, and then the last wing I want to I just want to bring up on this um, approach to um, normalization of deviation is is to learn humility. He says in the article it says we imply that the expert, meaning our pilots and mechanics. Hmm will be more objective than a non-expert and will be better armed against the normalization of deviance. Unfortunately, the opposite can be true. He goes on to say here in the article, an expert can believe his or her knowledge and experience gives license to deviate. With experience comes confidence and in some cases to the extreme, overconfidence and arrogance can be conjoined. That's what yeah. we brought up earlier. Yep. Your 25th mission or whatever the official number was, the fallacy of expert opinion or the idea that experience is, or expertise is infallible. Exactly right. And now the antonym for that is basically that humility, saying, yeah. I don't know everything, or I may be missing something. I'm aware that I'm unaware of something or there. And when we do that, we're gonna open up and put our head up on a better swivel to look and be mindful of those things out there that could come up and catch us when we're not expecting it. So. Mm -hmm. Um, of course, if anybody needs some, some good um, uh, articles to look at as far as, you know, what not to do, you can always go to the NTSB website and look at those accident investigations and see, uh, unfortunately, we quarterback those, Monday, Monday, Monday morning quarterback those, Sure. but it's in an effort to learn what not to do or what got people into a problem that they couldn't get out of. And so... Um, That's a great recommendation, Craig. And um, you know, just covering this material in this particular article, I think that the the folks out there in the Solariverse, though, if they haven't read this one, you know, it might be a good quick read. And um, I'm certain that uh, Eric will yeah. complement this podcast with a website, we'll put a, link. a web link. Yeah. We'll put a link. For, Is that a link? Uh, we'll put it up there for this particular PDF material. Well, yeah. um, I'm sure you know, a lot. Your millions of Instagram followers, podcast <laughs> Instagram followers, will <laughs> hyperlink right through. Into it. We'll, we'll see where that goes, right? 
a lot of what you're suggesting and a lot of what the you know the case studies uh, demonstrate is um, it, it it's as clear as the nose on our face. It, it, these are things that we're all aware of, uh, no and I say we collectively, everybody out there in the Solariverse. I mean, we've got uh, you know five or six hundred professionals out there getting it done the right way every day, and um, that's no accident either. It's no that doesn't just happen by happening. Very deliberate, very purposeful, realizing uh, using a lot of these techniques and a lot of these practices and our SOPs and. And at the end of the day, when we begin to believe that we're not vulnerable, I'm not suggesting any of us or anyone in Solaris mm -hmm. believe that, right. sometimes uh, those are blind spots though. And no uh, in the DOD, we talked a lot about the failing aviator and you know, one of the leading indicators was confidence. And confidence to the point where it got to be not only arrogance as you suggested in your summary, but Hubris. Yeah, when exactly you get there, right. that's a very yeah. dangerous place, very and dangerous. it's uh, difficult to uh, curtail as well. We're at a safety committee. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean you don't on. have to get to that point, right? No, There's, of course um, not. You, you, you may, that may not be a leading indicator. There may be some other leading indicators, um, and uh, you know, some blind spots. Uh, I'll I'll share a personal story yeah, of uh, of one that uh, you know maybe I can elaborate on uh, somewhere during the uh, SOC or something like that. But we were doing combat operations uh, into Afghanistan back in you know 2001, <clears throat> and uh, you know the routing that we we were out in the North Arabian Sea and. Um, the routing was up through Pakistan, so they had a corridor for us to, you know, trudge up, mm -hmm. hit the first air refueler, and then go support the uh, the ground forces right. uh, with combat arms. <clears throat> well, you know, in one of the particular engagements there, uh, the uh, the requirement to stay on station and support was, you know, higher than the requirement to get back to the carrier. So we were reprioritized, and um, you know, we found a little loophole, and um, we could cut that distance by about forty percent uh, to and from. Uh, by using uh, a routing that was other than the prescribed, right, the prescribed route. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. This is international airspace. Yes, we're over Pakistan, but we're but it's combat operations. So we've got the airspace. We can yeah. take this forty yeah. percent efficiency and run this thing. Well, you know that almost uh, that almost really came back to haunt us uh, a couple of uh, you know weeks and a month later. Uh, in the loss of uh, loss of crew members uh, over the desert at night, and uh, we uh, we were lucky, right? Mm -hmm. But we looked at that, and it didn't look like normalization or deviation in, at first blush, right? But when you really peel it back, that's what it was. Mm. We were looking to do things more efficiently. We were looking to support the ground component, yeah, in well intentioned, a more efficient manner, a well intentioned manner. That's right. But it was a deviation, and we normalized it. And how did you guys re-correct that, though? We went back to school, right? Okay. We did what you just suggested. Uh, yeah. We looked at why would we make this change? How do we get to this point, sort of right. thing? If we want to be forty percent more efficient in terms of the, you know, the delta, mm -hmm. maybe we can build that in. Let's formalize it. Yeah. Instead of ad hoc. There you go. We're right back to ad hoc, right? And then, yeah. Hey, it's a sense of comfort. You're flying fighters. You got four arrows looking out the front end. You're not going to run into anybody. Yeah, who's going to come challenge right? us, right? <laughs> no problem. That's right. Not always the case. No, not always the case. Wow. No, that, so, so timely, and, and, and it, it's, it really boils right into exactly what we've been talking about. I just want to segue maybe a little bit over into our just culture, if you don't mind. I want to talk about a little bit about the five skills that help, will help us produce better outcomes. And, and this all kind of ties together with, with our normalization of deviance. And when we, when we have these five skills um, that we're, they're gonna help us produce better outcomes, 
I think that we're going to raise not only our awareness overall, but our safety margins uh, for all of our employees as well. So the first one is the first uh, skill would be to know and understand our values and expectations of our organization. You know, a lot of times on Office Five, they'll say. And when you say that word values, right? What yeah. do we all do? We sort of turn off. That's exactly right. right. <laughs> and that's exactly why I want to. People talk are about. switching to their favorite uh, satellite XM radio right now. Well, I would hope not. Stay with <laughs> us, folks. <laughs> because I that's why I'm glad you guys are both here because I have a couple of the values that I have seen here at, at Solaris, but maybe we could uh, talk a little bit more about those. So the first one I have, obviously, is safety. It, and we don't use the word priority for safety because the word priority means that things can change, right? That's right. And value is something that's stuck and ingrained into the organization. And you'll itself. note that um, each year uh, when Dan and John promote their, <laughs> their right. goals, number one goal, yep. number one goal Boom. every year is our obligation, our commitment uh, to our accountability to safety. Exactly. It right. is the number one safety, reliability, efficiency. Bar none. Exactly. It is right. the number one service the, we provide. Absolutely. Yep, no doubt. So along with that, um, I wrote down as well, and, and the ones that stick out to me is uh, the excellence, professionalism, and quality customer service. Sure. I think that's what, when I hear Slaris and what it, when others come to me, that's what they're, they're expressing to me. Um, when they hear about our, our, our company. Am I missing anything here? Well, I think another one that, uh, that we're all very familiar with is we have a lot of great feedback loops and we have a company um, and a group of professionals that A, aren't afraid to call one another out yep. for whatever reason and folks are willing to provide constructive feedback. Love it. And, and that's a key component. When you lose that, you're done. You, you, you know, just culture is nothing yep. without feedback and without the ability to say, hey, Foley, what do you got going on over there? That's not the way we do business. Right. It's not a personal attack. And, and when, we, when we operate that way, we start to learn how to operate that way, it's gonna be easier and easier to give that feedback and then to ingrain it into what we're doing and to make those, those sometimes subtle changes Sometimes big changes. There are so many better. organizations that fall flat in that category, and no that is a really, really important, uh, whether you call it a value, whether you call it part of the culture or the climate, and those kinds of buzzwords. The fact is, without a feedback loop and without people checking their ego at the door, mm -hmm. and without you know the ability to call one another out yep. and tell it like it is, you've got to have truth tellers. And we all have that accountability and responsibility to each other. It's a team we're backing one another. Up. And, and then, and then, conversely on that, instead, you know, when you're getting called out, instead of making excuses or trying to backpedal from it, say, take that accountability and say, you know what, you're right. I fell short. Uh, here's the changes I'm making, though, to yeah. make things better. And in all likelihood, the organization may have set you up to fall short. So Absolutely no one's right. pointing the finger of blame at any particular sure. individual. Matter of fact, that's going to be probably an organizational we, a component. There's probably an organizational component affiliated with that's it. Right. So we're just talking about it with the open feedback loops. We we find, you know, we find more root causes that's and right. we can address them. And they have something like that in sales. And I know I'm going to draw on your uh, military aviation experience also, where in sales, you know, they'll post how everyone's doing, so everyone can see how everyone is doing, and then if it's a cohesive team and not a you know, a pack of vipers, everyone tries to help each other out. Right. And then, in, um, you know, because I was on an aircraft carrier also with um, the, uh, you helped me out with the description of it, where the landings every night in the squadron would be Chaos judged. and mayhem. And there was the board, <laughs> right? The board sure, showing board. your ranking. Yeah. And 
correct me if I'm wrong, but as a squadron, everyone would study that board together and help the lowest pilot on the... Yeah, that was just good to, good way to give <laughs> good it way to give each other a hard time, right? <laughs> hey, Sully, come on, another no grade. What's going on? <laughs> you know, look, we spared no opportunity to give each other a bunch of steam, right? And right. of course, we never. But there's nowhere to hide. Never gonna let the truth get in the way of a good <laughs> yeah, yeah. story. Yeah, That's for right. sure. But to your point, Eric, that was a um, an example of hey, we're. There it is. Yeah, this is who we are. These are our numbers. <laughs> Fully transparent, another buzzword, but you get the intent, right? Yeah. It's, this is what we're doing. And yeah, I, I'm holding myself accountable to this. I can see if you're in a three, four, five plane operation, you know, cams mm -hmm. where everyone can have that kind of team. But if you're a one-off, let's say you're a Challenger 300, you know, in the middle of the country and you don't have another Solaris tail within a thousand miles of you, you know, that's that sort of feedback might only exist when you do the cam calls or when you come in here for NDOC or the, that's why that the regional trainings. So that's why the networking is so important. Yep. Internet, these podcasts, learning who your peers are, uh, not only in your you know, Challenger 300 community, but in your Solaris. There's no doubt about that. I mean, the other the way you can do that is to join the standards committee or safety committee to, to have that interaction on a more frequent basis as well. I think um, w we found a lot of um, good avenues, a lot of good ways um, to open up those kinds of conversations. Um, and what I mean is if you're in the scenario that Eric has proposed or sort of depicted, mm -hmm. if you feel like you're alone and unafraid and no one's listening, and your other crew members don't seem to be quite as fired up about this culture of you know debrief and feedback as you are, we've got some tools here at uh, headquarters no doubt. that <laughs> can allow you, will allow you to sort of broach that topic in the right way mm -hmm. and not further alienate other crew members. Because let's face it, we're all human beings, right? Yep. Everybody wants to be part of the, you know, most everyone wants to do it right and wants Absolutely. to do it well. And some folks tend to take that feedback a little bit more personally than others. Mm -hmm. And uh, I know, um, Eric, you've got some techniques around how to sort of develop a team that is willing. They're, everybody's more able to become a willing participant in rallying around you know, the value of feedback and those open loops and understanding that none of it's personal. Give me a call here at safety and we'll We'll walk through that together and, and uh, make that happen for sure. The second one that I wanted to bring up was was just that we, we just mentioned it was system design, right? All of our systems, our procedures, our processes. We need to make sure that we have, you know, the systems that will help uh, help people make the best choice possible. Where we have good checklists and 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 uh, and when we do that, um, when we it it will help us to not only raise that level of, of professionalism and excellence, but it will help everybody else raise their level as well. And, uh, and just like we mentioned earlier, those actions will speak louder than words a lot of times. People want to get, get on board and, like you guys said, not be that guy, that guy at the bottom of the, of the, mm -hmm. the list that you were talking about. Yeah. Carrier. And hats off uh, to everybody out there on the various accounts uh, across Solaris with uh, the recent attention, the recent focus on, you know, further developing our checklists for, right. for each of the aircraft. Um, yep. That's a great initiative, and some folks are doing some 
really so terrific work really on that, work which on. is more system design. Right? Exactly right. We're engineering in best practices around checklist, and you could consider the checklist a system. And further development, further design around that checklist is uh, is a powerful tool. No, no doubt. And and when we we understand that people are going to be flexible and adaptable to, you know, unpredictable situations, they're going to use their best skills and abilities to help find a find the safest way through, uh, maybe a. a sticky situation or something they weren't expecting to have happen. Sure. So, so that system design, look, if, if we need to redesign it, let's do it. Let's, and I, I know for a fact, everybody in flight operations, maintenance teams, they want to make it as best as we can. We want to provide the best resources for everybody out there to succeed. So uh, that brings us over to number three, our behavioral choices. Um, you know, we talked about it, how we anticipate that, you know, humans will, will make mistakes and we, um, we need to move closer to achieving our desired outcomes by maybe helping people react uh, in a positive way and, and make those positive decisions that will um, produce better results than, than maybe what we have in the past. So um, we know that behavioral choices kind of come down to three different things when we found some unfavorable conditions. Number one, of human error. Number two, at-risk behavior. And the third one, reckless behavior. Now. When we find those, when we go through our just culture um, investigations, we look at those. Now, did this person make a you know a, a poor choice based on bad system design, or was it based on a training issue or something else? And so then we break it down into those three things: human error, at-risk behavior, or reckless behavior. And then we can then we can address those issues specifically based on the way we've classified them. So it may be a coaching or a mentoring thing, or maybe a training issue, um, or maybe just realigning expectations. Those are the best part, you know, the best things that we have a way that we can do that. So that number one, we, we can continue to extract the value not only from the organization, but also from the, the individual. So we have a really good component going there. You, um, uh, you mentioned, uh, you know, one key phrase in there that you mentioned, Craig, is, you know, how we address as a, as a company, as a organization, as a team, yep. uh, the behaviors that were, you know, um, <clears throat> witnessed. Yep. Uh, and uh, that, that's such an important piece of it all. And of course, I think everybody out there that's operational for Solaris understands that <clears throat> the intent is never one of, uh, of, of a punitive intent. I'm so glad like, you brought that up. Our objective yeah. is always to you know, learn how can we avoid that behavior elsewhere exactly. and in the future? How can we avoid a recurrence? And when we look at it you know, in that fashion, that's, uh, that, that that really it helps us deliver on the results. No doubt, and and uh, and then again, we get that buy-in. Really, when we when we this is not a punitive culture, but a learning culture. It gets that buy-in and accountability to you know scream that much higher of a of a success rate and say we want to do this for the right reasons. That's right. And so um, again, back to human nature. You know, it's case study after case study. Folks tend to get defensive and. Um, that's not the intent, right? The intent is open, sharing, let's define the behaviors, let's define some clear paths forward, and let's just try to prevent reoccurrence. That's exactly right. That brings us to the, the fourth uh, skill that we want to learn about, and, and that's our learning systems. So with that, that that's incorporating our, our hazard reporting uh, and threat analysis as well. Uh, when we have those reports coming back, I can't tell you how valuable those are uh, because then I can sit and, and we can start analyzing trends and looking at very specific things that have led 
people and into maybe a hazardous situation or, or a situation they didn't anticipate having, but then we can get that information back out to everybody and say, here's what to avoid in the future. Um, so I would, I would just recommend that people continue to um, send in those hazard reports, continue with that fraud um, submission. Um, you know, of course, we're, our, our goal is to have 100% completion rate. Uh, right now we're sitting at 98%. Yeah. So hmm. we're so close to closing that gap. Um, you know, just a reminder that you, know, you can't really truly get a release without that, uh, that frat being done. And hopefully that's, that's provoking a discussion amongst crew members and saying, here's what I marked off on the frat. Do you agree with this? Here's, here's how we're going to mitigate these problems if we, if we see them. Hats off to everybody who's been submitting those hazard uh, reports as well. I know the yeah, trend absolutely. is up, and you know it's encouraging to hear some of the conversations that you and I and the rest of folks have talked about. Just in 2018, I think you've seen an uptick in uh, in the reporting, and uh, yes, we have. That's an indicator, right? That, year over that's year an we indicator have, that uh, year our, the, the culture we're trying to you know drive and deliver uh, is uh, is on track. And and it's not so much that we want to have unsafe operations that we have to <laughs> submit reports, but it's more or less. People maybe not identifying things in the past that now they're starting to identify that we can then uh, say, hey, we're improving because we're uh, taking care of this much more risk out there and mitigating it. So, yep. Uh, and then the last one, really quickly, is, is accountability and justice. Of course, everybody, I know everybody comes to work to do their best job every single day. Um, I don't know of anybody that comes in and says, I'm just going to skate by as, as best I can for the day. And when we, when we take that, uh, that ownership, that pride in what we're doing, we're going to have better results day in and day out. And, uh, and that's just, uh, that just goes to say, show that the caliber of folks that we have here, the expectations of, of us are, are high. But I think day in and day out, we're meeting those expectations and, and many times exceeding those expectations. And uh, again, that just shows in uh, our day-to-day -day operations of, uh, of what we're doing here at Solaris. Clearly, that's the case. Um, Craig, thanks very much for teeing up a couple of interesting topics here. Um, we let off with normalization of deviation, and boy, we only scratched the surface. So we really did. great topic for further development at uh, some of the um, upcoming uh, podcasts, but also uh, maybe at some of the regional um, events that we're doing. Uh, oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, for Solaris, and, and also to include the SOC and your, uh, your summary around just culture and some key five points or so. That's, uh, there's a lot of thread to pull there as well. There is, and, and I think that as we further dive into those, you know, it's, it's like eating an elephant. You just do one bite at a time, right? And yeah, you Eventually bet. we'll get through this. And well, we certainly appreciate more. you uh, joining us here in the studio again. Thank you very much. Uh, right. By the time the folks at uh, Solaris uh, probably uh, listening to this podcast, we'll be into 2019. Yep. Uh, it's a few days before Christmas Eve here at Solaris, and uh, uh, we're hopeful that you all had a great holiday season, and we'll, right. we'll see you in... Uh, We'll see you in 19. Thanks for uh, <laughs> thanks, everyone. thanks for everything you're doing for the uh, for the team. Thanks everybody. Thank you for listening to the Solaris podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at podcast at solaris.arrow. Thanks again.